Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. As many of you as listeners know, each week in synagogues throughout the world, the Jewish people read a section of the sacred text known as Torah. That section read on a weekly basis is known as the Parashah. At the moment, the Jewish people are reading from the book of Exodus. And as, again, many of you are aware, Exodus begins the transition from the stories in Genesis which focused on Abraham and his descendants um, into the story that will evolve to be known as the story of the Jewish people. The end of book of Genesis, the uh, sons of Jacob are no longer called the sons of Jacob, but are called B'nai Yisrael, the sons of Israel. It's a transitional moment. And this transitional moment from the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob into the people of Israel is also the transition from a faith that is... uh, directed the faith that emerges out of the personal relationship with God, um, the covenant between God and Abraham, the covenant between God and Isaac, the covenant between God and Jacob, into the covenant between God and the Jewish people, which will be most powerfully reflected at Mount Sinai with the giving of the Ten Commandments. This morning, I thought I'd chat with you a bit about this transition from personal to corporate religion and from the identity as a child of a particular family into one who is a member of a group. And so I want to talk to you about what is a Jew and what is Judaism. Um, I want to do it uh, with a brief historical overview in the hopes that as we move forward from each uh, episode during the reading of Exodus, we will have a broader understanding of how the varieties of stories in Exodus fit within this paradigm of uh, Judaism and Jew even though, of course, both terms are not found in the Torah itself. Judaism is more than a religion. Judaism is a way of life of the Jewish people. Culture, customs, ethics, sense of self, these are part of Judaism as much as the faith and rituals of the Jewish religion. Since Judaism is the expression of a life of a people, let me begin with trying to answer the question, who are these people? And what distinguishes them from all others? The term Jew can be defined in more than one way. Within Jewish law, being Jewish is kind of a citizenship. One is born, one is a Jew if born of a Jewish mother, 
Although, as many of you know, there are uh, aspects of Judaism denominations which have accepted an alteration, a modification of that standard Jewish law to say one is a Jew if born of a Jewish father. But traditionally, one is a Jew if born of a Jewish mother or one has undergone a conversion. Conversion to Judaism is like a bestowal of citizenship. It makes one a member of the people. A person who fits the legal definition of a Jew is recognized as a fellow Jew by the Jewish community. Even if a Jew does not share the religious beliefs of Jews and does not participate in the customs and practices of Judaism, one is still considered a Jew if he or she fits the legal definition. One begins immediately to see how Judaism is much more than a religion. One could define a Jew religiously according to religious beliefs and practices of Judaism. One could say that a Jew is one who believes in one God, the creator and designer of the universe, the God with whom the people Israel had a special relationship. And of course, the term Israel is synonym, is a synonym for the Jewish people. In contemporary times, Israel is used to refer to the Jewish state. Properly speaking, the state is the state of Israel. The land is the land of Israel. But biblically and colloquially, the word Israel used alone refers to the people. Jews have also been identified as a race. This is not true if by race we mean a people united by blood with specific genetic characteristics, though some people will suggest that if they have their DNA tested by the varieties of uh, corporations that offer DNA testing to identify your heritage, it is probably not true that the vast majority of Jews have specific genetic characteristics. One becomes a Jew through birth. But in every generation, there have been those who departed from their Jewish identity and married into other groups, and those who have become Jewish and joined their generic heritage to that of the Jewish people. If one were to go to Israel, the state of Israel today, one would see Jews of every different build and skin color. One would notice that by and large, European Jews look European, Yemenite Jews look like Yemenites, Ethiopian Jews look like other Africans, and so forth. The stereotype of the Jew with a dark curly hair, a long nose, and an olive skin color fails to recognize the heterogeneity of the Jewish people. To the extent that the stereotype is true, it would fit many other Mediterranean people as much as it would fit the Jews. Many writings from the 19th century, Jewish and non-Jewish, identify the Jews as a race. While some of these references have in mind the discredited idea of a blood group, the term race was used in that time to describe what today we would call an ethnic group. An ethnic group is a community of people that share a common culture, language, literature, food, common concerns, 
certain personality characteristics that emerge from the group and those and other aspects of human culture that make up an ethnic identity. Jews do share a characteristic of an ethnic group. More properly, we might say that Jews make up of a, that Jews make up a number of ethnic group since Jews from different parts of the world have other cultural traits that are unique to their own Jewish community. Jews from Ethiopia share cultural traits with Ethiopians, as well as traits that they share with the Jewish people. Jews from South America, pick a country, share traits with the ethnicity of that particular country, as well as with the Jewish people. There are some cultural traits that all Jews have in common, such as reverence for a body of literature and devotion to a language and a land that, that are considered sacred. As a minority group with a distinct and different way of life, Jews have often been singled out for negative attention. Many people think of Jews in terms of negative stereotypes. So let me share with you some of these stereotypes so that we can set them aside and no longer use them as identifiers of members of the Jewish peoplehood. In ancient times, the Jews were the only people who worshipped a single exclusive God and the only people who worshipped without physical images of God. The Jews were resented by ancient, ancient people for not participating in the worship of a multi-polytheistic approach to God. This led to the accusation that Jews were anti-humanitarian, since sharing gods was considered to be an act of friendship and universalistic concern for other peoples. We were considered clannishness, clannish inasmuch as we did not share the ancients perspective of polytheism. When Christianity replaced the pagan religions of antiquity, the old misunderstanding of Jews did not die out. Added to it was the resentment that the Jews, Jesus's own people, had not become Christians. Jews were protected under Christian law but were restricted in many ways. The laws in Christian lands called for Jews to be humiliated and despised in order to encourage Jewish conversions to Christianity. When Jews did not confirm, convert, they were accused of stubbornness or spiritual blindness or sometimes accused again of a clannishness because they refused to um, integrate with the religious majority. Before modern times, there was little appreciation for the notion of diversity among people. Conformity to cultural standards was prized. The many unique Jewish customs and rituals aroused suspicion and fear among those who did not understand them and led to stereotypic understandings of Judaism as outsiders, 
or as individuals who did not want to participate in the cultural life of those that surrounded them. In Middle Ages, Jews were assigned by kings and nobles to fulfill economic roles that were magnets for resentment from the common people. Jews were used as bankers, tax collectors, and estate managers. Interest rates were set by the king, who taxed Jewish profits heavily for their own benefit. But public resentment was directed almost entirely at the Jews. In some lands, the ruling class purposely directed peasant hatred against the Jews in order to deflect criticism of their own rule. For example, the Russian czars encouraged anti-Semitism throughout their empire after the fall of other European monarchies when they were trying to cling to power. The Nazis encouraged hatred and fear of Jews in order to gain public support for their bid to rule Germany and the world. Sociologists have demonstrated how an oppressed people may adopt the negative view of itself that is perpetuated by its oppressors. Jews were certainly subject to this unfortunate phenomenon. We find among Jews such negative stereotypes as the overbearing Jewish mother, the Jewish-American princess, a materialistic, self-centered Jewish woman. Some have found in these stereotyped images an element of healthy self-criticism, and that may be true. But there is no doubt that such stereotypes damage the public image of the Jew, especially when they enter into the public consciousness in literature and film. More serious damage can be done by self-hating Jews in positions of influence. For example, Karl Marx's severe criticism of Jews was motivated by a rejection of his own Jewish ancestry, but it has had a negative impact on the image of Jews in all communist and formerly communist countries. Prejudice stereotypes teach us very little about who Jews are and what they are like. Such stereotypes are a projection of the fantasies and fears of those who believe in them. Stereotypes tell us more about anti-Semites than about Jews. There is another stereotype that is of value in understanding a people, the stereotype that a people has about itself. These stereotypes may not be true of all or even most of the people, but they reveal the primary concerns of a people and the ideals to which they aspire. We find in Jewish sayings that to be a Jew is to be charitable, compassionate, forgiving, and sexually modest. It is true that Jews excel in charitable giving. When Governor Peter, when Governor Peter Stuyvesant wished to keep a, Jew, a group of Jews from landing in New Amsterdam, the colony that would eventually become New York City, out of fear that this impoverished group fleeing 
from the Spanish Inquisition through Holland, would become a public burden, the Jews were able to point out to an ancient history of never allowing a fellow Jew to depend on public charity. The Jews of Holland promised to support the Jews who had fled to the new colony. They were allowed into the city. In North America, Jews generously support both Jewish charity and public causes of all kinds, beyond all proportion to the percentage of Jewish population. This may lead to a stereotype of Jews being exceedingly wealthy, as opposed to the reality of Jews being extremely charitable. Compassionate for the unfortunate, even one's enemies, was always emphasized in Jewish culture and education. Jews were never to forget that at the beginning of their national history, they were slaves in Egypt. A Jew is expected to behave kindly towards foreigners, strangers, and the helpless in society. The Jews have often been oppressed in their history. They are expected to remember that as an example of how not to behave toward the powerless elements of society. This, of course, is a truism. But it is also a truism that this cultural dynamic allows for people to hold Jews to a higher standard of behavior than they might hold others to. And so in the Middle East today, when the government of the state of Israel acts in ways that does not seem to be compassion, even for one's enemies, there is a disconnect between Jewish understanding of their own identity and the, that identity to which they are being held accountable to. Family life and sexual morality broke down in the society of the Roman Empire. Jews recognized the difference in their own society. They took pride and strength of Jewish family life based on the sacred bond between husband and wife and the Jewish laws that govern their relationship. In their eyes, the sexual restraint that Jews practiced was a mark of a superior way of life. In difficult times, Jews found strength in the bonds of family life. Again, as society has changed and in modern times, Jewish family life has begun to follow the pattern of the general society, this leads to a disconnect between um, the people's values and that which they hold to be such true and their behaviors. It is important to recognize that these traits are not native to the Jew any more than they are to any other people. As a traditional Jewish cultural breaks down, Jews are as susceptible to the ills of society as many other people. Before modern times, Jews lived in a variety of lands as a distinct people, separate in many ways from the other people of the land. It was a simple matter to identify and define Jews. They were distinguished, of course, by their religion. Jews were a distinct nationality as well and were not considered to be citizens of the lands in which they lived. They were perceived as exiles from the ancient nation of Judea. And Jews themselves also often occurred with this. Jews lived under a separate set of laws. 
The ruler of a nation established the taxes and other civil, civil obligations of the Jewish community. The Jews controlled their own community affairs through their own elected officials and appointed rabbis. The Jewish community regulated its affairs according to Jewish law. The rulers of a nation often established laws requiring Jews to dress in a certain way and live in a certain area. They attempted to limit relationships between Jews and non-Jews. Jews were often restricted to certain professions that were reserved solely for Jews. These were generally in business and commerce. Jews lived and worked according to their own sacred calendar. Jewish dietary laws made it necessary for Jews to dine only among their fellow Jews. And often throughout history, Jews even spoke a different language than their neighbors. The Jews of Eastern Europe conversed in Yiddish, a dialect of medieval German rather than in the language of the country in which they lived. Many Jews in the Middle East, whose ancestors originated in Spain, continue to speak in Ladino, the Jewish dialect of medieval Spain. Jewish religious intellectual culture was expressed in the ancient languages of Hebrew and Aramaic. And this culture with its language was taught in Jewish schools that were supported by the Jewish community. In summation, for a variety of reasons, the Jews constituted a separate, organic community that was almost completely self-contained. The Jewish community established for itself separate communal institutions to cover every aspect and requirement of cultural and social organization. All of that was a necessity given the anti-Semitic and anti-Jewish world in which they lived. But it also reinforced the external perception that Jews were clannish and the internal perception that Jews were required to be a separate people. Beginning in the 18th century, Jews were emancipated. That is, they were offered the opportunity to enter society on an equal basis without be having to give up being Jewish. The great majority of Jews welcomed emancipation, even though it meant the breakup of the traditional Jewish communal order. The Jew had to give up areas of distinctiveness in order to establish spheres of life in which the Jew could relate to non-Jews as one individual to another. Jewishness began to be relegated to a restricted area of life and culture. Being Jewish began no longer to be a total way of life, but a role that a person fulfilled in one aspect of their life. That was what we now call religion, a faith perspective. And so in the beginning of the modern era, Jewish religious behaviors began to be separated out from Jewish cultural behaviors. Not all Jews chose to retain some aspects of the former Jewish way of life. Some kept Judaism as a religion, a set of beliefs and practices, 
Some Jews continued the attempt to abide by Jewish law within the limits of their new obligation to live under the laws of the nations in which they were granted citizenship. Some Jews chose to abandon traditional religion and law, but retain the national aspects of being Jewish. Others did not retain Jewish religion or nationality, but remained attached to the ethnic Jewish culture of the Jewish people. Outside of the area in which a Jew retained his or her distinctiveness, he related to the world as a human being among other human beings in which the status as a Jew was not relevant. I hope you begin to understand how we therefore could speak of the term Jew in so many different definitions. The Jew is somebody who keeps to the traditions of antiquity. The Jew could be somebody who has no connection to religious antiquity, but believes in the speaking of Hebrew. The Jew could be someone who believes in cultural identity and thinks there is a preponderance of Jewish food, though mostly from the land of his ancestors. The choice of which aspects of Jewish way of life to retain was determined by national origin as well as by individual choice. In North America, Judaism is generally considered to be a religion. Although many North American Jews identify themselves by ethnicity rather than by religious faith. In Russia, Jews are considered to be a nation rather than a religion. The Jews are one of the many nationalities that are officially recognized by the multinational states of the former Soviet Union. In an era in which it seems that every national group in Eastern Europe is striving to create its own sovereign country, however tiny, the Jews live among all the peoples of Eastern and Central Europe and Central Asia as a scattered nation without borders, a minority nationality in every country. That is why. In the state of Israel, where Jews are the majority, Jews are naturally recognized as a nationality more than just a religion. Many Jews combine a variety of Jewish roles in their Jewish identity. They may be ethnic culturalists or religious nationalists. One Jew may keep the dietary laws because he considers them to be a divine commandment. Another may observe these laws because he thinks of them as an aspect of Jewish culture. But he may be willing to break these laws when it is inconvenient to observe them. Another Jew may consider the dietary laws as an unnecessary remnant from the past. The conditions of modernity have made it difficult to determine with certainty the meaning of being Jewish. I hope that has been a helpful introduction into the historical transformation from the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob into the people of Israel, and how through history the notion of peoplehood has followed um, a very uh, different and um, unusual path than other religious traditions.
it, of course, is solely based on the fact that from the first century until the 20th century, the Jews did not have a land of their own. When they had a land of their own, there was an integrated sense of identity. Now that they once again have a land of their own, there is an integrated sense of identity. In future episodes, we will continue to explore the definitional quality of Judaism and Jew. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and will search out Jewish faith and Jewish facts as a podcast, either on CHRI or on iTunes. This is Rabbi Stephen Garten for Jewish Faith and Facts, wishing you a good day and shalom.